Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here and I am delighted that you are here this morning as we continue into our series in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, in my previous church, we actually had a vending machine near our youth center. And so we had a vending machine. It was filled with uh, flavored waters and Gatorades and sodas and all sorts of drinks that teenagers love to buy. And every now and then I would go down the hall and I would put in my money and I would get one of these drinks and I would typically order uh, some orange soda like this or a Gatorade and as the machine is pushing the drink forward, it would begin to fall and as it was falling about halfway down, it would inevitably tilt somehow and get stuck against the glass and there it was. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, we've gone to a vending machine and you put in your money and you want to buy a bag of chips or a candy bar and you punch in your little code and then that little spiral arm begins to push out your candy bar and then just as it's about to release that candy bar, it, the candy bar kind of tilts a little bit and it doesn't fully let it go. What do you do? She says, kick it. Yeah, yeah, so you shake the machine and so... There I am, I'm a pastor in a church that has cameras in the hallways, and this machine won't let go of my drink. And so I begin, like any good youth pastor, to shake this machine. I'm pushing it back and forth. And I mean, you owe me. I put in the money, I put in the right combination, you let it go, give it to me right now. And I'm frustrated with this thing, and I'm starting to feel a little upset at it, and I feel like this machine owes me. And I think sometimes we view prayer that way. We go to God with all the things that we need and that we want. And God, I, I need a new boyfriend. I need a new girlfriend. God, I need you to change my spouse. God, I need you to give me a job. God, I need you to, to fix this problem God, I need you to solve this issue. I need you to pay this bill. And, and God, if you do, I will serve you. God, if you take care of this one thing, I'll even go to church. And we begin to view God as this cosmic vending machine, believing that if we put in our prayer quarters and we punch in the right combination and we say the right things and we do the right things, that God will rain down from heaven all of the things that we want. And you know, if that is really what prayer is, then I would say that really everybody prays, don't they? But what happens if prayer is actually something different than that? What if, what if, in fact, um, all of us have been told that we should pray. But what if prayer is, is more than just asking? What if there's a way to do it that would not only glorify God, but would really change us? So here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. What should we do in prayer if we want things to genuinely change? Because we've all been told that we should pray, but we've rarely been told or rarely been shown how or what prayer looks like. And thankfully, Nehemiah begins to unpack that as he shows us, as he pulls back the curtain, 
as, as what's happening in this nation of Israel, as they have been going through all of this turmoil, and God has burdened this man, Nehemiah, to go rebuild this wall, this wall that was four and a half miles long. It was 20 feet wide and 20 feet tall, and, and they do it in record time. And now that the walls are rebuilt, God is using Nehemiah to rebuild his people. And now they enter into a time of prayer, and that's where we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Grab your Bible, go to your Bible app. If you don't have it, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. Nehemiah chapter 9. Um, this is a godly man who has a burden for his people. And now that they are rebuilding the wall, he is focusing them to who God is. So Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's start reading in verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God, and the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then in this moment, they begin praying. From this moment on, they are praying and talking to God, and this is their prayer. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, they're talking to the Lord, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and in the multitudes of heaven worship you. And so they start off with this time of fasting and prayer and confession. And this idea of fasting is really, it's the idea of abstaining from food. It's, it's putting aside food for a moment to focus on God. This is something that Jesus did. This is something that the disciples did. This is something that I've done. I haven't done it probably as often as I, as I should or as I'd like, but it's the idea that you say, okay, for a period of time, maybe I'm going to skip a meal or I'm going to skip two meals or I'm just going to go without food for the whole day. And as I feel those hunger pains, that is going to remind me to pray and focus on God. And this is what they're doing. They're putting on fasting, they're, and they're putting on sackcloth, and this is this uh, rough goat hair material. It's kind of like if you've ever done like a potato sack race, it's that kind of material. So they put, they take off their comfortable clothes, and they put on this goat hair-ish sackcloth material because they're in a time of, of mourning. They're in a time of humility, and they are confessing their sins to God. They're acknowledging to God what he already knows. 
They're coming to him and they're saying, God, we see our sins the same way that you see them. We're, we're no longer hiding them anymore. In fact, not only are we confessing our sins, but we're confessing the sins of our ancestors. God, here's, here's the sins of my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents. We have missed it. We have blown it, God. Will you forgive us? Here's my definition of confession. It's acknowledging your sins to God and agreeing with what he says about your sin. How often do we do that? I think for a lot of us, we like the idea of confession. But how often do we really go to God and say, God, I'm, I'm gonna acknowledge my sins. I'm gonna begin to see my sins the same way that you see them. I'm gonna call sin, sin. Here's what I think we like to do. We like to dress up sin. We like to make it sound better. We make it look better than it really is. Here's an example. When, when I was angry at that vending machine, I, I, I used the word that was frustrated, right? We've been frustrated. We've been annoyed. But the reality is, I was angry. And if we're going to go one step further and call our sin or acknowledge it or, or say it the way that God sees it, Matthew 5 talks about anger as murder in our hearts. And so these people are going to God and they're confessing, they're acknowledging it. God, this is the reality of my sin. They are completely broken. They're walking in the light. They have fellowship with God. Here's what 1 John chapter 1 says. 1 John 1 says, this is the message we have heard in him and declare to you God is what? He's light. And in him there's no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. And John is writing to believers saying, if you say you have fellowship with God, you, you're a follower of Jesus, but you're walking in darkness, he says it doesn't go together. It's not that you have to be perfect, but your life cannot be characterized by sin and darkness. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So he's saying, the reason you don't confess sin is because you probably think you don't have anything to confess. He's saying, we've deceived ourselves. We've lied to ourselves. We're not walking in fellowship. We're not walking in the light. He says, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us. He's talking to believers who have forgiveness, who have made, been made right in Christ. And yet he's saying it is so important to have short accounts with God that if you want to walk in the light, it looks like confessing sin. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. The reason we can go to Jesus and confess our sins the next verse he's going to talk about in 1 John, that Jesus is your defense lawyer. He's going to stand up and argue your case. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah. They are walking in the light. They have fellowship with God. They are confessing. They're saying, here's everything, God. We're no longer going to hide our sins. Verse 3, they stood up. 
and they read from the book of the law for a quarter of a day. How many of you read the Bible for 15 minutes and you're like, wow, that's a lot of Bible reading I did today. They read the Bible for a quarter of the day. I can't, I can't remember when the last time I sat down and I read God's word for a quarter of the day and they were worshiping God. They are confessing. They're remembering what he has done and they're, they're agreeing with God. So they confess. They remember what they have done to God. Then they're, they're reading and they're, they're recognizing okay, I'm putting myself in the proper position with God. Verse five says, um, they stand up and they praise the Lord because they were, they were down on their knees, their face was on the ground, they were, they were recognizing, God, I am inferior to you. I am inferior and you are superior and you are the amazing God. And they say, stand up. Stand up right now and begin to praise him. Praise him he is the God of everlasting to everlasting. He's the one who created everything. He spoke everything into existence. The multitude of heavens proclaim your name. They're going back to Genesis. And they're saying, God, in the beginning, you spoke light into existence. When God said, let there be light, it came out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. Stars, the sun, he spoke it all into existence. Just think about that. All that's packed into this verse. They're going all the way back to Genesis. God, you created everything. This is compelling them in their worship, that they are seeing God as big as he really is. This should really reshape and reframe how we think about God when we enter into that throne room and we begin to pray. They are recounting all of the incredible things that are true about God. They don't see him as this cosmic vending machine but they're going back and looking at how amazing he really is. One time I heard Louis Giglio talk about this, and he said, okay, imagine that earth was the size of, of a golf ball. He said, imagine it's the size of a golf ball. If, if earth is the size of a golf ball, then our sun, let me show you a picture of, of the sun, our sun, you could put, it, the sun would be um, 15 feet in diameter. So let's blow the sun up to 15 feet in diameter, there's the sun, it's 15 feet in diameter, and here's, here's planet Earth. Can you find yourself? Meaning, if, if this is planet Earth and it's the size of a golf ball and the sun is 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls, 960,000 Earths inside the sun, and God spoke all of that into existence. It's incredible. And inside the universe is the Milky Way galaxy. And inside the Milky Way galaxy are thousands and millions and billions of stars. And inside there is planet Earth. 
And there's you in Conklin, New York. Can you find yourself? And they are going back, and in, their, in this prayer, they are proclaiming all the incredible things that are true about God. And so, what do we do if we want to change genuinely? How should we pray? The first point is we need to pray backwards. And by backwards, I mean they are looking back at all the things that are true about God. In fact, I won't read all of this, but in this prayer, they are recounting all the incredible things of, of, of how Israel has gone through life. It's the most fullest description of Israel's history. They're recounting everything. They're going backwards. Look at all these amazing things that God has done, and they're also confessing their sin. Look at all the things, God, that we have done. So as we pray, we can't just see God as this cosmic vending machine, but we need to enter into his presence and go, God, here's the things that I've done. Here's, I, I've sinned. I've blown it. It's not a mistake. I'm calling sin, sin. I'm looking back at all the, the things that you've done, how faithful you have been. God is continually gracious and merciful to them and they begin to see how merciful he really is. Let's keep reading in verse 32. Verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors, and in all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or your statutes or warn them to keep. Verse 35 even while they were in your kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them. In the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it into writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing it with seals to it. God, you have remained amazing and righteous and faithful. They're recounting, God, we missed it. We missed it. We missed it. We missed it. And God, you have been so faithful. Our ancestors, our leaders, our priests, our kings, we have blown it, God. We have failed miserably. But God, you are so faithful. In the past, our kings, they didn't follow, follow you. They didn't please you. But God, you have always been faithful. And now they are crying out, 
It says, in our distress. What do you do when you are in distress? How is it that you ought to pray? Enter into his presence and acknowledge, God, I, I've blown it. I've not always gotten it right, but as I'm talking to God, I'm recounting, here's how you've been faithful, and here's what you've done in the past, and here's how you've provided in the past. God, you are so incredibly amazing. They're confessing, they're remembering what they have done, and they're agreeing with God. And they're saying, hey, God, we are slaves in our own land. And so you have a choice. We have a choice. We can either serve the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. And when we serve the kingdom of self, we become enslaved to our own sins, our own desires, or we can serve the kingdom of God and find true freedom. And that's what they're proclaiming. They're making a request. God, we ask you, God, please change our circumstances so part of prayer is asking for things. God does want us to make our requests known, but he's not a cosmic vending machine. It's not that if you say the right things, push in the right buttons, do the right combination of things that he will magically grant you what you ask, but he is a good father who wants to hear from his children. And this is an incredible model that we can learn from. And then in verse 30, it says, God, we're making a binding agreement. We're making a covenant. It, it comes from the idea of cutting an animal that you're going to bring to sacrifice. God, we're making a covenant. We're making a promise. This is a picture of repentance. It, it doesn't say the word repent in here. But that's what's happening here. God, we're seeing our sin the way that you see it. And, and as I see it the way that you see it, this is leading to change. I'm turning away from my old ways. I'm turning away from the evil. I'm turning away from the things that don't please you. And I am pursuing you, God. I am making a covenant. They're repenting. They're confessing their sins. They're, they're repenting. We promise God we're going to change how we live our lives. So what should we do in prayer if we want to genuinely change? Well, first we need to pray backwards, but then also we need to pray forward. That's what they're doing. They're looking forward. And this is often what people think of when they think of prayer. They're making requests known. God, would you change our situation We've blown it. Would you come in? And we are in distress right now. We need you to come through. And they're, they're repenting. They're saying, God, here's, here's how we're going to change. We need your help. We can't do anything unless you intervene right now. In the New Testament, Paul says this in Romans 12. Romans 12, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and if you have God's mercy to offer what? your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul is talking to this church in Romans saying, literally climb up on the altar and offer yourself 
as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We just got finished worshiping Tim, didn't we? Wasn't that what the band was doing? We were singing to God. Yeah, we were. And I would say that worship goes much further than what happens here Sunday morning. Every day, you and I worship someone or something. And Paul is crying out to this church. He's urging them, begging them, pleading with them, crawl up on that altar, be a living sacrifice, worship God with your life. Give everything to him. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, radical transformation by renewing your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, good, pleasing, and his perfect will. So we ought to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, have a proper response, recognizing that the God of the universe that we talk to is a star-breathing God who put everything out there, spoke everything out into existence. So many times we treat God as if he is small like us and we come to him with our plans and our desires and our diagrams and, and God, here's what you should do. I'd like an orange soda. I'd like you to fix this. And God, let me, let me advise you on these things. Let me, let me show you how to do this best. Here's the job I really deserve. Here's the relationship I really ought to have. God, I don't know if you knew this, but all my neighbors have an in-ground pool, and I probably need an in-ground pool too. It's, it's wiping all of that away and recognizing, God, you are incredible. You're amazing. You're indescribable. So what should we do? when we pray, if we want to genuinely change, well, we need to pray backwards and forwards. What does that look like? Let me give you some application. One, I, I would encourage you, if you're struggling with confession or you don't know how to do that, I would challenge you, read and pray through Psalm 51. In the Old Testament, King David committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and he was feeling the guilt and the weight of his sin. He would have been hiding it for a long time. And Psalm 51 is his confession. If you want to learn how to confess your sins to God, read and think through and pray through Psalm 51. Let that guide you. Number two, reflect on who God is. As you pray, my challenge to you is that you would begin to recount all of the things that you know are true about his character. God, you are holy. You are faithful. You are true. You are always available. You are the good shepherd. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You promised the Holy Spirit to be my helper. And just start recounting all of the things that are true about God. Third, if you want to really change how you pray, you should pray with other people. 
And we have an incredible opportunity next weekend, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have a day of prayer. We're going to start here at 5 o'clock, and there are 30-minute slots that you can sign up with. And we're going to have prayer stations on Saturday all throughout the building. If that doesn't work for you, we're going to have um, an abridged version in our starting point room. Prayer stations will look a little bit different. You can sign up, and you can pray with other people. And so maybe you're here, and you're like, Tim, I... I don't really know how to pray. I don't like praying out loud. That kind of freaks me out. You should come so you can listen to other people pray. Maybe you're here and and you just love praying and you're not really sure you want to pray with other people. There are other people that would benefit from being in a room and hearing you pray. And you praying on their behalf, praying with them. We are a body of believers So I'm going to challenge you before you leave to go back to that welcome desk and sign up with your friends, your family, your small group. If your small group people aren't here, you sign them up anyways and tell them to show up, all right? (laughs) So I know prayer is challenging. It can be overwhelming. And I want to encourage you to pray backwards and forwards. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, you are incredible and you are amazing. And we recognize that uh, there's a lot of challenges in our country right now. There's a lot of challenges in our lives. And we recognize that um, some of us are living in distress. We're overwhelmed, we're burdened, and we don't even know where to start. And I ask that as uh, we begin to focus our thoughts, prepare our hearts for communion, that you would help us to do that in a way that would honor you. God, as we leave today, continue to remind us of this pattern of prayer that can be pretty helpful to reshape our thinking as we pray. Father, we thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Pray all this in Christ's name.